Not too many years ago, probably four or five, I traveled with the New Zion Youth Choir on their summer mission trip to New Mexico. And we stayed, um, we didn't have really luxurious accommodations. We stayed in a church in Albuquerque, so there weren't hotel rooms. We drug our cots and our air mattresses into the church with us, and we slept in classrooms and hallways. But I can remember this one morning, this one morning in the Albuquerque church that I bounced off my cot before anyone else woke up and I headed for one of two showers that were in the basement and designated to us to get ready early. I was excited because, because it was Sunday. And the church where we were staying had two different worship services running at the same time, and I was going to get to go to both. So, yeah, I'm kind of letting my freak flag fly a little bit. (laughs) It was like, it was like a kid in a candy shop. You know, I had one hand in the gummy bears and another hand in the chocolate drops. Two worship services on the same Sunday morning that I got to attend. What a treat. Uh, my children know uh, this about me, and sometimes they say they they have been known to say about me, "Oh, mom, man, she just likes to go to church." <laughs> At our house, we watch the show. Um, we've been watching a show for the last couple of months called "The Chef's Life," and "A Chef's Life" is set in Eastern North Carolina, and in the music that plays before each episode, there's a song that says. Why can't you see yourself as beautiful as I see you? And that's kind of how I feel about the church in 2017. I wish you'd see yourself as beautiful as I see you. Todd Bolsinger is the author of a book called Canoeing the Mountains, and he begins his book making the claim that we sit at the very end of a 1,700-year-long era where Christianity— sat at the privileged center of the Western society. And he, he cites things like this. He says, you know, we're at, you can see that we're at the end of uh, Christianity sitting in the center of society when you look at Sundays. And Sundays are more about soccer and Starbucks than they are about Sabbath. And Christian student groups that are, are sit on um, college campuses are being de-recognized. And the fastest growing religious affiliation among young people is the category none. And 1,500, 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. Some theologians and sociologists, Walter Brueggemann is one of them, point to 9-11 as the turning point in our culture, the turning point in our ideology, that 9-11 forced us to deal with or to ignore our own vulnerability. We had to do this as a culture, and we are having to do it as a church as well. So how do we deal with it? What do we do about our vulnerability? Do we deal with it or do we ignore it? For thousands of years, Jerusalem has been a place of holiness. Jerusalem has been a place of holiness much longer than the uh, church in the United States. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to consider what we can learn from Jerusalem. 
how she is referred to in scripture, the stories that are told about the city and the stories that are told about the temple and the presence of God in the midst of change, in the midst of transformation. We want to know what we can learn from Jerusalem. Our scripture is from the end of the Old Testament book, 2 Samuel. It's the last chapter of 2 Samuel. It's the last and maybe the most important thing that Samuel wanted us to know about King David. So this is at the very end of the two-volume work, First and Second Samuel. I'm going to start with verse 18. That day Gad, Gad is the prophet. That day Gad came to David and he said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Following Gad's instructions, David went up as the Lord had commanded. When Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Aruna went out and he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to you, the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord your God respond favorably to you. But the king said to Aruna, no, no, but I will buy them from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought, he bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and he offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being. So the Lord answered his supplication for the land and the plague, the plague was averted from Israel. This is the story of God for the people of God. Would you say with me? Thanks be to God. I went this summer with my children and my mother uh, just a few hours away from San Antonio to College Station, Texas. College Station is where my mother grew up. And it's also where she met and married my father. My father was an Aggie Yell leader, so that's kind of a big deal to Aggies. <laughs> As we drove around College Station, my mother would point things out to the children. She pointed out the home where her parents lived when she was born. And then she pointed out her elementary school, and she said, that's where I went to school when I was your age. And then when we were on campus, she pointed out the administration building and she said, there on those steps, that's where your grandfather asked me to marry him. I loved being a part of that tour, overhearing what she had to tell my children, because it was like they were getting the this is how it all began story for my family. And that's exactly what is happening at the end of Samuel, at the end of Second Samuel. We get the, this is how it all began story for the Jerusalem temple. The altar that David constructs on Aruna's threshing floor is the eventual site of the temple. 
So this story begins in verse 1 of chapter 24. It begins with David taking a census. But actually, it begins with, get this, it begins with God inciting David to take a census. Verse 1 says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and the Lord incited David against them, saying, Go count the people of Israel and Judah. Okay, what a great beginning, huh? That's For those of us who like their theology tidy, this is really weird. This is a really strange way for God to behave. It appears that God is angry at the people of Israel for no reason at all, no reason that we're told, and provokes David to commit a sin. So if this upsets you too much... If this makes you really, really anxious, we can explain it away. Let me explain it away for you and tell you that when this story is retold by the chronicler in First Chronicles, it's Satan, the adversary, who incites David to take a census, not God. But Eugene Peterson... Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message that some of us read as, as, a sto- as the story of the Bible, and one of my favorite theologians, says that the awkwardness of God in Second Samuel reminds us to stay alert, to stay receptive to the mystery of God. So if you can, if you're able to take that verse 1 and set it aside, we'll come back to it. We'll get back to it. If you are able to say that we cannot confine God to our understanding, that what is said in verse 1 is just weird, that it's God is unpredictable, and that God is, as we heard in Exodus this summer, I will be who I will be. I need some reminders. I need some reminders that God's ways are not my ways. That while I like things all neat and tidy and rational, God is even bigger than my ability to comprehend. God is bigger than my ability to set things in order rationally. So there's one other place in this chapter where God has an audible speaking part. And the other place where God has an audible speaking part, this is what God says. God says the word enough. Enough. God says the word enough to the dark angel who is bringing a plague upon Israel. Enough. Withdraw your hand is what God says. Now this we call mercy. This we get. This is a consistent way that God shows up in the Bible. It's a consistent characteristic of God. And this is how God shows up right in the spot where the altar will be constructed. God shows up right in that place with the word enough, withdraw your hand. God shows up in that spot with mercy. So let's talk for a second about the census that David is taking, this evil plan that King David hatches to count people. That's not very sinister, is it? I hope it's not. We do it every Sunday morning in here and in the sanctuary. We count people. But in the context of this story, what's going on is that counting people for King David is a strategy of control. So this is, this is a departure for King David. It's a departure from the 
way that Israel was called to exist, to live by faith, to have this strategy of listening for God's direction and then following God's direction, it shows us that David is taking the reins in his own hands. It shows us also that David is willing, that he's ready to take from people. Early on, back in volume one, of the Samuel story. Samuel the prophet says to the people, don't ask for a king. Don't ask God for a king. You don't want a king because a king will take from you. A king will take from you your sons to defend and plow his land. A king will take from you your daughters. A king will take from you your fields and your prophet. And that's exactly what David is doing. That's exactly what David is doing. He's preparing to take from his people. And so this move that he makes is a very controlling move. We get a glimpse at the contrast between the way King David moves and the way that God moves when the prophet Gad gives David a choice. He gives David a choice of the consequence that he wants for his people. So get this choice. It's a choice of three things. You can have, as a consequence, you can have a famine, or you can have a battle, or you can have a plague. What a choice, right? And David responds not by picking one of the three, but David responds with these words. This is verse 14. He says, Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Don't let me fall into human hands. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for the Lord's mercy is great, but not into human hands. So human hands have the potential to do much good, but I suppose that they also have the tendency to promote themselves And David knows this because he's just moved in this way. Human hands have the capacity to promote themselves, to control other people, and to act violently. I mean, I saw that on the news this week, and maybe this week is different from no other week. But on the news this week, I watched human hands take control of a van and drive into a crowd of people in Spain. And I watched human hands take up tiki tiki torches to promote their own supremacy. Before this altar, before this altar is constructed on Aruna's threshing floor by human hands. So that's hopeful, right? Before it's constructed, David changes his ways. He changes his ways. Twice he says to the Lord, I have sinned. I have acted foolishly. I've done a foolish thing. And the scripture tells us that he's conscious stricken. Repentant for us is not a bad way to be. Aware of mistakes and wanting to go a different way, wanting to go the opposite direction is a good way to be. And in the presence of the Lord, in God's presence, which is merciful, it's also a very safe place to be. Human hands seem to do really good work when they are attached to a repentant heart. And that's what we see happens here. 
That's the scene at Aruna, the Jebusite's property. Now, you're not going to be surprised to hear that Aruna is an outsider. That shouldn't be surprising to those of you who know the Bible story. When David captures Jerusalem and takes Jerusalem for God's people, the Jebusites are the defeated people. And that's who Aruna belongs to. He's one of the defeated. The temple sits on the property of an outsider who is not overlooked. But, you know, did you catch that in this passage at the very end of these verses? He's paid for his property. This is a scene on Aruna's property. It's a scene of repentance. God mercifully relents, and we could even say repents from judgment. God says the word enough, enough of judgment. And David repents. David repents from control. So this is a very promising setting This is a very promising place for an altar and then for the Jerusalem temple to sit. It was good for me this week to consider the mechanics of a threshing floor because I'm a city girl. (laughs) So this threshing floor thing, this idea of, of threshing grain is new to me. I didn't know how it worked and I want to tell you what I learned. The threshing floor is a place where grain is opened up. So first, first the ears of grain are torn from the stalks by stomping on it or having livestock pull a threshing board across the grain. And this loosens up the grains from the husks. Then, then the broken stalks and the grain are collected And when they're collected, they're tossed into the air, thrown up, exposed to the wind. The wind that has the same Hebrew word for the breath, the ruach, the breath of God. So it's thrown up and exposed to the wind. And in that wind, there's a sorting that takes place. What is useful What is best remains and falls to the ground, and then the rest of it, the rest of it that is not useful, flies away. And I suspect, I suspect that this is much like the sorting that takes place at the altar. What's not needed is discarded, and what's important remains this, this sorting is foundational for the Jerusalem temple, and it's the primary function of the church. I believe that to be true, to reveal what's necessary, to, be, to reveal what's true, to reveal what's vital. A merciful God sorts the lives, sorts the hearts of the repentant. And I have seen that take place in here. I've been a part of that. Not too many months ago, I walked into this very worship space saying to my 16-year-old daughter, you will not go to Africa by yourself. <laughs> but what, what, what needed to be sorted, what, ne- what I needed to leave 
was my fear. And that blew away in the wind at this altar. And what was important remained. I've seen that take place in here. I've seen it take place in the sanctuary. I've seen it take place in elementary school classrooms and on college campuses, around kitchen tables, around bars, on walks with friends, on long drives with family. That sorting happens. One could say about the altar, the altar has left the building. You could say that about the altar. And it becomes ours to find that altar and to show up in those places where sorting is happening. Where God's mercy combines with repentant hearts to reveal what is true. Mercy starts the repentance for a new way. And what comes forth is hope for all of us. So I want to I want you to pray with me, but I especially today want to pray for those altars that sit in classrooms. And so if you are a student, if you are a teacher, if you work for a school or a college, a university, or you have children that you've put in college like me or children that are starting school this week or next week, would you stand as we pray? Pray with me. Eternal God, we thank you this morning for the places that sort and reveal truth. And we thank you for your great mercy. I ask a blessing this morning upon those who teach and upon those who learn. May classrooms be places where truth and insight are gleaned and your mercy rests. I ask a blessing on those who show hospitality and those who are in need of a place, on those who serve and on those who are undergoing hardship right now. Let your mercy prevail. Lord, we don't need a map to find you. We just look for the outsider. That's where you reside. It's where judgment stops and where mercy is poured out. We are in need of you, for we are each imperfect, but you are perfect. Would you give us guidance? Would you reveal for us good places for altars? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.